Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Supreme Court nominees don't normally speak out on the eve of Senate action on their confirmation. Then again, nothing about this process has been even slightly typical. Brett Kavanaugh not only is speaking out, he's got an op-ed running tonight in the Wall Street Journal that just went online. He writes that his testimony last week reflected his frustration, his word, at being wrongly accused. The remarkable development comes at the end of quite a day and in advance of what promises to be another one tomorrow. Tomorrow, one of just four senators who've not said how they'll vote on Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination will return to a secure room on Capitol Hill. There, with only a pen and paper to take notes that cannot leave the room, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat, will review the FBI report he began looking at late today. Manchin is a red state Democrat, and he's up for re-election. He and three Republicans, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, and Jeff Flake, are all the wild cards here. For now, at least, that FBI report in that secure room, which the public will likely never get to see, appears to be the focus for at least some of those undecided members. For them, it may decide Judge Kavanaugh's fate, or at least be what they point to to justify their vote. Which is why, keep in mind, we're focusing on it now, because the question of who the FBI did and did not talk to That's hotly disputed, and no one seems willing to step up and say exactly what the Bureau's marching orders actually were. Now, if you believe the president on Saturday, there were no FBI restrictions. They have been all over already, and they have free reign. They're going to do whatever they have to do. Free reign, no restrictions on the FBI, he said. Yet in the days that followed, potential witnesses began coming forward to say that they had yet to be contacted or that they had reached out to the FBI and not heard back. Here's James Roach, a freshman roommate of Judge Kavanaugh's. They actually slept in the same room at Yale, who says that Kavanaugh didn't tell the truth under oath about his drinking habits or what he wrote in his high school yearbook. So just for the record, you've never been contacted either now or in any past investigation. I've never been contacted uh, about Brett by the FBI ever. He's not alone in not being interviewed or even contacted by the FBI. Neither was a classmate named Richard O., uh, nor was the former FBI special agent who administered Professor Ford's polygraph test, nor quite a few others who Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee believe should have been, at least been spoken to, even if they didn't have direct knowledge of a specific incident. They never spoke to the accuser herself, Dr. Ford, or to uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Now, it's not our business to tell the FBI certainly how to conduct an investigation. That said, we can say is that when it comes to who, if anyone actually did tell the FBI how to conduct the investigation... Key officials and lawmakers are not exactly tripping over themselves to say or take any responsibility for it. So listen to the White House spokesman, Ross Shaw, today. Did the White House put limits on what the FBI could look into? So just to be clear, and this is something I think has been lost in the process, a background investigation is not, you know, an investigation, a criminal probe, for example. It doesn't seek to find a specific outcome. It seeks to find information for decision makers. The Senate has set a scope on what they are interested in. 
So there he says the Senate set the scope. But in the very same briefing, he also said this. Any background investigation has to have some form of limiting scope. And this time it's it's always in these matters set by the White House. But we defer to the Senate's requests. All right. So if you're confused by that, just wait and let Judiciary Committee member Mike Lee tell you who decided which potential witnesses the FBI should talk to. We did not come up with a list of uh, people who the FBI should interview. The FBI was requested to conduct an investigation into any and all credible current accusations of sexual misconduct by Judge Kavanaugh. And the FBI made the decision uh, from there as to who to interview. So according to him, it wasn't the Senate Judiciary Committee that shaped the FBI investigation. It was the FBI. The president said they had free reign, but his spokesman says the White House limited its scope, but also deferred to the senator's request. Doesn't exactly clear it up. One thing is clear. The White House and most Senate Republicans are pointing with pride to the investigation. What no one seems to be doing is taking real responsibility for it. Late today, Senator Heidi Heitkamp, the red state Democrat from North Dakota, said she'll be voting no on Judge Kavanaugh. Senators Collins and Flake have both expressed confidence in the FBI probe, but they have not declared publicly their preference. We'll have some late reporting on Senator Murkowski and what could be her current state of mind in a moment. But first, the overall state of play in a last-minute twist, possibly a big one. For that, we turn to Sina's Monteraggio at the Capitol, where protesters certainly made things loud all day, and there were arrests uh, made as well. So, Mono, what's the latest? Well, Republicans have no margin for error as they head into a critical vote tomorrow to advance the nomination to a final confirmation vote Saturday. And that is underscored by a Republican senator who supports the Brett Kavanaugh's nomination, Steve Daines from Montana. We have learned that Daines will not be in attendance for that Saturday confirmation vote because he's attending his daughter's wedding that day in Montana, walking down the aisle with her, and he will not be in attendance. So what does that mean, Anderson? That means tomorrow's vote, so much riding on it. The Republican leaders know if they lose one Republican vote and all Democrats vote no, then Daines won't be there on Saturday, and they won't have enough votes to confirm Kavanaugh on Saturday. And they may have to delay the vote until potentially next week. But if they do have the votes, if all the Republicans are lined up, 51 Republican senators vote yes, maybe they pick up a Democrat. Baines's absence on Saturday won't matter. But underscoring how narrowly divided this vote is and how much of a cliffhanger it is as we head into a crucial vote tomorrow morning. Anderson. Yeah, I mean, what are the votes looking like? Do, do we know where things stand with the undecided senators? Well, we know that those four senators have not declared their intentions. We know that we spoke to all four of those senators today after they got their FBI briefings. Senator Susan Collins went in three times for briefings today. She said uh, that the FBI investigation was thoroughly conducted. Uh, she uh, has said that she is done with her review. She said she had not made a decision yet and would wait, probably wait till tomorrow to announce that. Jeff Flake said there was nothing to corroborate the allegations uh, made against Kavanaugh. And he also suggested this was thoroughly done. Now, Lisa Murkowski, we tried to talk to her about this. She was noncommittal. She said she's still reviewing this. And Joe Manchin, that red state Democrat, also noncommittal. He said he's going to go back tomorrow morning to review this material further, Anderson. And just in terms of the FBI report, I mean, clearly there are different narratives from Senate Democrats and Republicans today. Yeah, Democrats are saying this was an incomplete report. There were dozens of witnesses who needed to be interviewed. And Republicans are saying this was a thorough investigation, the seventh background investigation he has undergone through his public service. Now, when I asked uh, the Republican leadership 
today about uh, concerns from Christine Blasey Blasey Ford's camp that eight witnesses were not interviewed and from Deborah Ramirez's camp that 20 witnesses were not interviewed. I asked them why that did not happen and should they have green-lighted the FBI to do more? This is how they responded. Why not green-light the FBI, tell the White House to green-light the FBI to interview these additional witnesses? The FBI has gotten all the all the uh, permission they need in order to interview whoever they think is necessary. There has been no one to corroborate any of the allegations made by Dr. Ford or by Ms. Ramirez. And uh, the FBI has reported that back to us. They have followed additional leads. But the whole purpose of this is delay. This is not a search for the truth anymore. So clearly not answering directly about why that didn't happen, but trying to make the case as a fishing expedition. The ultimate question, though, Anderson, where do those key centers come down? Do they agree with John Cornyn or do they agree with some of the Democrats? Yeah, and of course, that's what it boils down to. Mono, thanks very much. I want to go to Anchorage, Alaska now. Gary Tugman has been talking to some of Senator Murkowski's constituents uh, who met actually with her today. Gary, I'm wondering what, what they said to you. I guess you talked to them after they had met with her. What did they tell you? Well, Anderson, we do now have a window into the senator's decision-making process, but it doesn't come from the senator. It comes from those Alaskan women who visited with her in her office today. On Tuesday night, Anderson, we were at the Anchorage Airport. Dozens of women were flying to Washington, hoping to meet with the senator. They weren't sure. The meetings did happen today. So many women came. It was split into two sessions. The first session was 18 female lawyers who went into our office to talk to her. The lawyers did not want their names used, but they were fine with the information being used. One of the lawyers told me when they got out of the office today just a couple of hours ago that she was convinced that the senator was going to vote no on Kavanaugh, that she would be very surprised if she voted yes. The other lawyer I talked to just a short time ago wasn't as strong about that, but said she's hopeful now, optimistic, that she will vote no. They wanted the lawyers to talk to the senator about two specific topics. One, how credible they believe Professor Ford was, and two, about how appalled they were about the judge's temperament during the recent Senate hearing, saying it wasn't worthy of someone who wanted to be on the Supreme Court. They say the senator said temperament is an important issue to her. And regarding Professor Ford, they say the senator said she was compassionate and understanding about the whole situation, about why the lawyers were there. They say the senator told them that this was an intense experience. The lawyers told the senator that when she comes back here to Alaska after she votes no, they will have her back. Now, it's very important to point out that she hasn't said she's voting no, but she hasn't said she's voting yes. She said at that point during the meeting she hadn't finished the FBI report, but she will make a decision soon, and then she will release a statement. Is it wishful thinking for these Alaska women? We don't know, but this is a slight window on the senator's process. So just a couple Anderson. things. First of all, it would be interesting to see if Judge Kavanaugh's um, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, in which he basically addresses the temperament issue, uh, would affect uh, Senator Murkowski in any way because, uh, as she, uh, according to one of the women, uh, she had talked about temperament uh, being one of the issues she, she's looking at in addition to what's in the FBI report. But I, but I just want to drill down. So specifically, you heard from two women uh, in this group of uh, attorneys, who, Alaska attorneys, who met with Murkowski. One of them told you after meeting with the senator, she believes the senator will vote no. That's just her belief, not anything that the senator directly said to her. And the other woman you talked to, was not sure. Is that correct? Well, no, I I think one of the women said, you know, she went into the meeting thinking that the senator was definitely going to vote yes. She came out of the meeting now thinking preponderance of the evidence. She's a lawyer, so she talks like that. She thinks she'll vote no now. The other woman I talked to is reasonably sure. She said, I think based on what she said to us, based on her attitude, I do believe firmly that she is going to vote no on Kavanaugh. I would be very surprised if 
she votes yes. All right. Gary Tuckman, we'll see. Thanks very much. Coming up, speaking of senators, more reaction from Capitol Hill. We'll hear from Judiciary Committee member Senator Richard Blumenthal live next. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenny today at zenny.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. In just the last few minutes, we've seen a Supreme Court nominee make closing arguments for his confirmation in the opinion pages of a national newspaper, The Wall Street Journal. We've heard that one senator's daughter's wedding could stand in the way of a vote this weekend on Saturday. And we've watched a battle royale play out all day over the FBI investigation with Republicans defending it and Democrats vocally offering up criticism. Joining us now is Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat of Connecticut and a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, so in this op-ed from Judge Kavanaugh that, that's online now, the Wall Street Journal, he writes, going forward, you can count on me to be the same kind of judge and person I've been for my entire 28-year legal career, hardworking, even-keeled, open-minded, independent, and dedicated to the Constitution and, and the public good. Uh, and he said, basically, he kind of went, you know, there were some things he regrets and he went too far in his testimony, but he was there as a as a father, as a uh, as a son, um, and and in sort of just ex- trying to explain why he uh, had the temperament on display that he did. That op-ed piece is a pretty obvious effort to clean up the debacle of his testimony to the Judiciary Committee a week ago, and that testimony was really profoundly revealing, almost like taking the mask off the judge and showing the real person. And what he did in that testimony was show someone who was angry, vengeful, self-pitying, and threatening. Literally, he looked at the Democratic side of the committee and said, what comes around goes around. He blamed the witness testimony before him, the brave survivor who offered credible and powerful testimony about the sexual assault, blamed that testimony on a left-wing cabal and the Clintons. So this op-ed in no way removes the issue of temperament, and it is the reason that former Justice John Paul Stevens today said that performance last week was disqualifying, and why Thousands of lawyers and former judges around the country are writing to us, asking us to disapprove this nomination. Uh, just, just for accuracy, I should point out, because uh, I made this mistake earlier, what he said uh, about the Clintons was that the opposition to him by the Democrats was on behalf of the Clintons. Uh, it's a small point, but, it, but an important one. What about his point that it was the importance of what was at stake and the emotions involved with it that, that was behind some of the more contentious moments uh, of, of his testimony, essentially saying... Look, his reputation was on the line, uh, you know, horrible allegations being made about him. And if he hadn't been, you know, some Republicans say, look, if he hadn't been as aggressive, um, he, he still he wouldn't be up for, for a, a vote. That's a really important question, Anderson. And there are two points in response. Number one, that testimony was written, carefully prepared, planned 
premeditated, not some emotional outburst. And second, judges are supposed to put emotions aside. They're supposed to, in effect, be objective, impartial. Judges often become angry. Believe me, I've litigated for close to 40 years. I've seen some angry judges. When they make their rulings, when they speak publicly, they're supposed to put those emotions to the side. And this op-ed in no way, in effect, cleans up that basic failing. I want to ask you about the report from the FBI. You've read it. I know there's a lot you can't talk about when it comes to the report, uh, the FBI report. What can you say about it? What I can say about it is that it leaves many questions unanswered, many witnesses uninterviewed, and many leads unpursued. And it actually raises more questions than it answers. The other point to make is that the claim made by my Republican colleagues that there is no hint of misconduct in this report is absolutely untrue. I can't go into the contents, but I can tell you the failure to seek witnesses and interview them, witnesses who called in, I've seen the mounds of paper that record the FBI's tip line, people with relevant information who were never contacted, let alone interviewed, Dr. Blasey Ford, Judge Kavanaugh himself, never interviewed, Kerry Burcham from Connecticut, who offered very relevant information about outreach by Judge Kavanaugh before that New Yorker piece on Deborah Ramirez, possibly contradicting his testimony before the committee, never interviewed. So there is a lot of work left undone, and it amounts to, unfortunately, a whitewash, not because of the FBI, but because of straitjacketing from the White House. And, and that's, you, you believe the White House is the one who put a straitjacket on the investigation, who limited the scope, the scale of the investigation? The White House is really responsible for circumscribing the witnesses, limiting the time, refusing at our request made last Monday, the Senate Democrats gave them a list of 25, including Dr. Blasley Ford and Judge Kavanaugh and Kerry Burcham, who should be interviewed at a minimum. They got other lists as well. And they had the, the tip line. They had suggestions from the interviews that they did do. And the White House was the one who, in effect, straightjacketed it. Senator Blumenthal, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next, what impact will the Kavanaugh controversy have on the midterms? We'll talk it over with David Gergen and Cecile Richards next. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. Good evening. With the first Senate vote on Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh set for tomorrow and his confirmation hanging in the balance, Judge Kavanaugh has just spoken out. Writing on the opinion page of the Wall Street Journal, he addresses the tone of his testimony last week, which some, including one retired justice, have suggested should bar him from the high court. Here are two key passages. He wrote, at times, my testimony, both in my opening statement and in response to questions, reflected my overwhelming frustration at being wrongly accused without corroboration of horrible conduct completely contrary to my record and character. My statement and answers also reflected my deep distress at the unfairness of how this allegation has been handled. Judge Kavanaugh continues to write, I was very emotional last Thursday, more so than I have ever been. I might have been too emotional at times. I know that my tone was sharp and I said a few things I should not have said. I hope everyone can understand that I was there as a son, husband and dad. I testified with five people foremost in my mind. 
my mom, my dad, my wife, and most of all, my daughters. So this just uh, was uh, posted. Joining us now is Ann Milgram, Rich Lowry, Kirsten Powers, and Tara Setmer. Uh, Kirsten, you read the op-ed. What do you make of, of what Judge Kavanaugh has written and the reasons behind him writing it now? Well, I think he's he's probably writing this because he realized that there are people who are saying, uh, including two people who had supported his nomination, who've withdrawn their support over the, the issue of judicial temperament. And so I think he's trying to do some cleanup here. I know conservatives uh, have argued that this is a normal way to react when you're under attack and uh, your whole life is, you know, being criticized and, and some pretty awful things are being said about you. But I have to say, I think that the way you see what someone's temperament is, is to see how they act when they're under pressure. And it's not when people are being nice to them, because everybody can be calm and uh, have a nice temperament when people are being nice to them. Everyone can't be calm and nice when they're under attack. And it doesn't really matter how any of us would respond because we're not up for the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in the land. It matters how he would respond. And, and, and I, we have higher expectations for temperament for Supreme Court justices than, than most people in the country. It's interesting, Rich, because uh, Judge Kavanaugh made a big deal of the fact that the prepared statement he gave, in, which is the, what really caught, I think, a lot of people's attention with the tone of what he was saying, uh, and, and not only the words, but also how he said it, he made a big deal as he started his testimony that he had written it, nobody else had seen it except, uh, a, I believe it was a clerk of his, these were his words. Um, those were not off-the-cuff remarks. Those were something he had thought out, he had planned. Is it now disingenuous for him to kind of be taking a step back from that? Well, one, uh, that's true, what he says about how closely held these remarks were, and he wrote, him, wrote them himself, and they're very personal. I think as a practical political matter, if he hadn't come out very strong and very passionate, he'd be dead. He just would have been dead. You have to go back in time and remember how we all felt after Dr. Ford's testimony and how he instantly changed the political dynamic around this. And this is a, inherently a political process, so you have to pay attention to that. And the judicial temperament issue, I mean, we have ample evidence of a judicial temperament in 200, 300, whatever the decisions are they wrote on the D.C. circuit. And when you're a judge, you're adjudicating, uh, you're a neutral party to other people's disputes, and you adjudicate them. This is completely different where his reputation was being torn to shreds in the most disgraceful manner, uh, being accused of things up to and including being party to a gang rape ring in suburban Maryland County. So I think any fair-minded person, any human person, would understand his reaction. Now, he got too hot. Uh, I think in the, the Q&A, you saw that particularly when he was asking, you know, questions of, uh, badgering questions of the senators. I think after the, the second, I believe it was the second break, he saw, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to apologize to Senator Klobuchar in real time because I don't think that was appropriate. And I think he was better from that point. But this, you know, the the sexual misconduct allegations are either at a standstill or falling apart. So it's become about alleged lies in his testimony and about temperament. And he's trying to address this, especially with Senator Jeff Flake in mind. And do you? you I I disagree with almost everything Rich said, though I I respect him enormously. But but look, there are a few things. One, the ends don't justify the means. Even if your reputation is on the line, this is the United States Supreme Court. This is a hallowed institution that makes the law of the land. You you do not get to sit on that court, in my view, by going up and yelling 
yelling at United States senators by writing a speech for the first 10 minutes where he talks about, I'm so qualified, I went to Yale, I worked so hard. None of that would negate the fact that he could have still engaged in a sexual assault, right? And so he went on for 10 minutes talking about himself. It took 10 or 15 minutes before he even mentioned the victim. And and to me, when it comes to the Supreme Court, and, and this is hurting the institution of the Supreme Court, this feels also very political to me, that he's now, justices don't write op-eds. Justices sit mm-hmm. and they don't speak other than through their opinions. So, you know, I'm troubled by so many parts of this, but this to me does not make it better, this apology. It's interesting, Tara, because when you read it, and I encourage people to read it, which uh, is posted by, by the Wall Street Journal, you know, he says he regrets some of the things he says, went, went, went too far, doesn't really go into to details. Um, but in that opening statement, I mean, he was talking about a conspiracy in part hatched by the Clintons and that this was retribution. Mm-hmm. Um, does what he say now, does that... Uh, for you, does it convince you that he has the temperament? No, absolutely not. Because if, if you made the point before I did that those were prepared statements, that he wrote that. So it wasn't in the heat of the moment. That tells me that he wrote that, read it, went there, and felt as though that was an appropriate way to conduct himself in the hearing. And, and the, the, no, so this is, this is like saying you're sorry after you got caught. He's doing this as uh, as a PR move to try to convince people that, no, I'm actually not unhinged and I can control my temper. I'm not a partisan hack. I'm none of those things that you saw me behave like a week ago because he's been criticized justifiably by people within his own profession. When you have 1,200 law professors and, uh, you know, coming out and the ABA coming out and now Justice Stevens, former Justice Stevens coming out saying, this temperament, this is a problem for the Supreme Court. He knew he had to do a cleanup job to try to convince folks that, no, I'm really not like that. I will be an impartial arbiter of the law. But I've had my other issues with the way Kavanaugh's behaved and the way that the Republicans have behaved with this entire incident. But his, his behavior during that hearing, in and of itself, was disqualifying. You cannot be that much of a partisan and bring that to the Supreme Court and expect people to think the integrity of the court is, 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 has been maintained. You Rich, just can't. One of the things he, he writes, he says, I hope everyone can understand that I was there as a son, husband, and, and dad, and that his main audience were, you know, were, was his, uh, I think he said his, his wife, his kids, uh, and, and his parents. Testify with five people foremost in my mind, my mom, my dad, my wife, and most of all, uh, my daughters. Is that disingenuous? I mean, first of all, he was there. It wasn't testimony in front of his his family. His family knows him. It was clearly uh, an attempt. I mean, it was a message to the president. It was a public statement in front, you know, a, a televised statement. Is it disingenuous to say... He was there speaking as a husband and a dad. It, no, it's relatable, I mean, his, his but reputation is, it real? is being torn to shreds in a, the most public manner possible in front of the people he loves most. Again, any human being, if you just subtract partisanship from it, has to understand the pain and agony he's been going through. Right, in, but in, in this that process. moment, that was a job interview, wasn't it? That's no, right. No, no, but look, this, if he had been passionless and cold, everyone would have said, you're passionate and cold, you're guilty. He's passionate, everyone says, you're too passionate. Now he apologizes and said he is, he is at times too passionate. Everyone's, oh, you're apologizing. You can't do that but either. Rich, they want to get him coming and going and coming and going because they've opposed him from the beginning and want to use true. any means to destroy him. Kirsten, isn't there something in the middle, though? <laughs> right. I mean, I think you're right. kind of picking out like these two extremes and even saying everyone's opposed him from the beginning. 
The people that Tara just mentioned weren't opposing him from the beginning. There mm-hmm. are people who are coming out who actually supported There's him. There's no Democrat saying, on that who committee saying, who's going to support I'm not, him. But, but we're not talking about the Democrats right. on the committee. We're talking about other people you know, the outside of the political... They're the ones who handled this allegation. Out, they held outside, it for the 11th hour. Mitch, let me finish. Outside of the political process, you know, I, it, it's not... This idea that the what you just said, like the only people who would see this way are partisans, is just not true. So I, you don't I've have never, any sympathy I, for him. Let me finish. The, the, I had never said anything negative about Kavanaugh, you know, and I and I and I have said before that if this was a Democrat, and I know you know this, this is a thing. I know that you know this. I would be saying the same thing. There are some people who look at this and say this is not a person who I certainly wouldn't feel good going up in front of him in the Supreme Court after the things that he said. And I also don't even understand the idea that somehow this was something he was doing for his family. I don't understand why anyone would feel reassured seeing their father screaming and yelling and crying and making accusations he was, he was against Democrats. Of gang rape. I'm he was not, accused by be, not, being party of a to gang rape. That was taken seriously by de- who, Hold on. I let you speak just a minute. I'll quickly say something and then I'll shut up again. The, this allegation was taken seriously by Democrats. Chuck Schumer and the, the Democrats and Judiciary Committee called for him to withdraw the day these scurrilous and ridiculous allegations were made. They were taken seriously by the media. The, the slimy lawyer who made these charges plastered all over cable news. And it's very easy to be relaxed about someone else's reputation Nobody being dragged be through relaxed. the mud. You keep going to okay, these well extremes. Then, then, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. They're focusing, you're focusing on one part of it. The, the, the sweat, the Julie Swetnick accusations that came out later with Michael Avenatti, cast that aside. Dr. Christine Blasey Ford had very credible accusations against uh, Judge Kavanaugh that have gotten muddied in the waters here because of the other, the, you know, the more salacious side of this. If I'm Bre- if I'm Brett Kavanaugh and I believe that I'm I've been wrongly accused, instead of instead of losing control because you are auditioning for that one of the highest offices in the land next to the presidency. You, you can be passionate without being out of control. Right. He was out of control. I was with a bunch of Republican women yesterday who told me, who were supportive of him, even though they did want a more conservative justice from the other part of it. They wanted a Amy Barrett or someone. But they said, okay, we're supportive. Until they saw that, they were they cringed. They felt that that performance was cringeworthy for someone that's going to be a Supreme Court justice. So this whole, if a woman had behaved that way, there's no way, Rich, that you or Republicans would be sitting up there saying, well, she was under attack. Could you imagine if Christy Ford had acted that way? There's no way. If Sotomayor or Lena Kagan had behaved that way during their nominations, there's no way Republicans so, would have been sitting here making excuses let, for it. Let me, let me just play a moment from uh, his testimony I think Rich referred to, to earlier uh, when, when Kavanaugh got, got into a back and forth with, with uh, Senator Klobuchar. You're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened. That's, you're asking about yeah, blackout. I don't know. Have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just, so you have, that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah, and I'm curious if you have. I have no drinking problem, Judge. Yeah, nor do I. And I want to point out, uh, as Rich also pointed out, when he came back uh, from a break, uh, he apologized uh, for for that exchange. He accepted that apology. And, uh, I mean, Rich, I think, makes a, a, a strong point, which is, had he not 
I mean, if you remember right. the impact that Dr. Ford's testimony had, had he not come out just from a strategic standpoint, now you can argue whether if he, was he should have been cold playing clinical. strategy, right. but had he been had he the way he was in that Fox interview and just sort of, you know, uh, uh, judge-like, it's not clear that, that his nomination would be even being considered. I don't, I, there are a couple things that I think are worth saying. First of all, I, I think it is fair to feel personal sympathy for him and for everyone who's going through all of this. This is an incredibly difficult thing for, for everyone who's involved. So none, but that, that's not what this is about. This is about does this man deserve to sit on the United States Supreme Court? And my problem, even looking at the Senator Klobuchar part, he does not get to ask the questions. When mm-hmm. you decide you want to be the nominee for the United States Supreme Court, the senators ask the question. And look, if you don't want that, you walk out. There is, you know, there's a line in his op-ed where he says, I'm never going to bow to public pressure. And his testimony was exactly that. He, mm-hmm. he was emotional. He exploded. He acted exactly like a judge should not act. And look, it's hard, but that's what those jobs are. You're going to be constantly tested with the hardest, most controversial questions in the United States of America. And that's just not, it's just not appropriate. <laughs> apologized in real time and and human beings occasionally they get upset and occasionally apologize i'm gonna apologize to kirsten i interrupted her i shouldn't have done that it was the heat of the moment doesn't mean i'm a horrible person doesn't mean i don't deserve my job doesn't mean my name deserves to be dragged through the mud so what's what's happened is these sexual uh, allegations of sexual misconduct were made there's no corroborating evidence for for the most credible and serious one. The, the Yale one, there's no, there's you know, e- even the accuser doesn't have a, a firm memory of what happened. And the Swetnick one, I know we're all just saying, oh, just cast that aside. It was just a gang rape accusation, but that was taken very seriously as of a week ago, and and her credibility is totally in shreds. So since since that stuff is going nowhere, now you have to dredge up other stuff. Now it's oh my gosh, she asked asked a senator a question in a hearing. Now inappropriate. But it's not not disqualifying. So we're supposed to, apparently a former Supreme Court justice thinks that it's disqualifying and hundreds of others who are in the, who are, who are in the legal profession think it's disqualifying. And, and I think, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how my fellow Republicans have decided to just forget that they actually questioned judicial temperament when Justice Sotomayor was going through her nomination and she didn't display anything. It was because she made a comment about being a, about being a, a, a passionate Latina. And you're telling me that what we saw last week is something that would not have been alarming to you if a woman had been, had done that? Uh, I man, think that's something that's very woman. off-putting. No, it's off-putting to women who are watching this process and seeing how righteously indignant all these Republican senators have become over this horrible treatment of poor Brett Kavanaugh, yet they... What about the treatment of Dr. Ford? How, what about her family, her life being destroyed? She made the choice. She actually didn't make the choice because of politics. Her name was revealed, but she at least came forward and said it was her civic duty to let people know what had happened to her. And they say, oh, well, we believe her, but not enough. But this poor man and what he's gone through, her life is just as valuable as his. So frankly, I'm sick and tired of everyone making excuses for Brett Kavanaugh to lose it and go after senators like that, which is supposed to be a co-equal branch if he becomes a Supreme Court um, justice, for him to be able to get away with that and make excuses I mean, for because he was on. upset. Because he asked a question of senators doesn't it, mean he doesn't was, understand the Constitution. He didn't just ask questions. Like he was rude. to invoke the Clintons as that he's a victim of a conspiracy That's hatched. not what he said, Anderson. Well, uh, that's he, not what he said. He, he was talking about the motives. Right, that this that, was why, why this why this has been such a toxic process. And one of the reasons is the left is driven crazy by the fact that they lost this election they thought they were going to win, that Mitch McConnell held the seat open. Did he say open, retribution they by the Clintons? For, on behalf of. 
Hillary Clinton ran. They all desperately wanted to win. They all had, you know, 110% faith that uh, she would win. And when they didn't, the, an element of the left has gone hysterical and nuts. And clearly that is part of, of this process. I, again, I, I think that's just that's it's uh, not the nominee's job to be a partisan hack. Let other people let other people defend him. It's not a potential Supreme Court justice he had nominee's job to moment. be a partisan hack. Okay. No, no one no, else was going to defend like him. That. It was but, all up to him. I thought Anderson going to your, your point about I think you mentioned the Fox interview when he was dispassionate and cool. I thought it was terrible. And I thought he wasn't going to survive this testimony and exactly because that interview was so bad. With that. Jim Acosta is joining us as well. Jim, is there any sense of whether the White House wanted Judge Kavanaugh to put this op-ed out at the 11th hour? And presumably he would have at least notified them uh, of this. I think, I think they did, Anderson. And I think we're going to find out that this was part of the plan. And I, I think it is an indication, Anderson, uh, that, that perhaps they are a little more concerned about this vote than what we previously thought. We thought earlier today that they were very optimistic about this vote. Uh, but when you have a retired Supreme Court justice like John Paul Stevens uh, putting out uh, a statement like he did earlier today, which which essentially says that he doesn't know where things stand in terms of the accusations against Judge Kavanaugh, but based on his performance at that hearing, which a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, despite what you hear from partisans on both sides, both sides of the aisle, people feel as though Judge Kavanaugh just sort of lost his cool and did not display the kind of judicial temperament that one expects from a Supreme Court justice. And I, I think that this this op-ed in, in the Wall Street Journal is trying to, uh, to some extent, uh, uh, clean up on aisle six uh, when it comes to these questions of his judicial temperament. Because, it, I mean, despite uh, what, what Rich was saying about the way Judge Kavanaugh responded to Senator Klobuchar, I mean, I talked to a lot of Republicans and Democrats over the last several days, Anderson, who just thought that was way over the top. Uh, and his comments about the Clintons just sort of came out of left field. And so I do think that there is a, a great deal of damage control going on. And perhaps they're looking at these votes right now and saying, you know what, this just may be too close to call. Jim, do you have any idea sort of what role the White House is playing now in, I mean, obviously, look, this is this boils down to what happens in the Senate. But is the president making calls on this? They're obviously closely monitoring where the votes would be. I think at this point they're, they're uh, adhering to the practice of do no harm. We, we understand he's been making some phone calls, but they've essentially been check-ins with loyal Republicans like Lindsey Graham. Uh, I understand yesterday there was a phone call between Senator Graham and President Trump, uh, according to a source, and, and it was essentially a, an opportunity for Senator Graham to pass along the message of, uh, Mr. President, please, in this process, do no harm. Uh, they are concerned about the X factor and all of this, and that being the president and what he says at these rallies, what he says on Twitter and so on. Because as, as Lisa Murkowski said yesterday, she's taking all of this into consideration. Uh, I mean, if, if Judge Kavanaugh is putting out an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal talking about defending his temperament, and he has a president who nominated him who, who has, no, uh, has, has no value when it comes to temperament, that's an issue, and I think they realize that. All right, Jim Acosta, appreciate it. And everybody on the panel, thank you. A lot more ahead as a Senate vote draws closer. Coming up next, the plenty of officials and lawmakers pointing with pride at the FBI investigation. A question, why are so few lawmakers and key officials actually taking responsibility for how it was conducted. We're keeping them honest on that. Also ahead, how one of the key undeclared senators might be leaning. We have a new window into what may be her thinking tonight on 360. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved. 
and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. More than 300 people were arrested during protests over the Kavanaugh controversy at Senate office buildings today. The scene is just one indication of how strongly people feel about the nomination and the sexual assault allegations against him. We've yet to see uh, how that may translate to the voting booths, but we'll soon find out. Joining us now are David Gergen and former Planned Parenthood President Cecile Richards. Um, Cecile, before we talk about possible midterm implications, you know, you've read uh, Kavanaugh's op-ed. I want to ask you and David about it. Um, you know, he says that he was there testifying as a as a father, as a husband, uh, as, as a son. I'm wondering what you make of, of what he's what he's uh, saying in this op-ed. Well, it's sort of an incredible campaign for a, jo- a, a job that is supposed to be impartial and above politics. But I was actually sort of, as I was reading it, I was thinking of all the women judges. I can't imagine a woman being able to uh, basically perform the way he did, which he clearly was not impartial. Uh, I think some que- people question his temperament, certainly his honesty. You're saying if a, if a woman applicant uh, for the Supreme Court was yelling like that, was crying like that. Completely disqualifying. And we certainly, I know women could never go back and then rewrite a story and say, uh, oh, well, I was just being a mother uh, or a daughter or a sister or a wife. Uh, I think that this is a desperate uh, effort by uh, Brett Kavanaugh to rewrite history. He wrote that testimony. He actually proudly uh, said those things. Uh, I think, I think, if the sexual assault um, concerns and allegations weren't concern enough, I think the fact that this is a man who clearly doesn't have the temperament, as I think Justice Stevens has said, does not have the temperament to be on the United States Supreme Court. David, I mean, how much do you think this is a reaction to, you know, Justice Stevens and, and what we've heard even from some on Capitol Hill about raising concerns about, about temperament? How much of what, I mean, Judge Kavanaugh deciding to, to, to put out this op-ed tonight, is it a response to, to those to, to that, to try to kind of nullify that? Absolutely. It, it is. It, this issue has become front and center over the last 72 hours. I think the letter that's come in now signed by, what, 1,700, 1,800 uh, law professors around the country. Who knew that there are that many people studying constitutional law or teaching it in, in colleges and university law schools? Uh, but I think that John Paul Stevens, a former Supreme Court justice appointed by a Republican president, uh, changing his mind, all of that has put enormous pressure on and, and could cost him. You know, at this hour of the night, there seems to be less certainty about which way this is going to go. And we woke up this morning as Jim Acosta said, it, it appeared that uh, very likely the Republicans were going to win this in the next day or two. And now, not, not so clear. What do you think, Cecile, uh, the, if he is confirmed, yes. uh, what the impact might be on, on midterms? I mean, does it energize Republican voters who support him or independents who, who support the judge and want him on and think this has been a travesty, or what, what, Dem- what they say Democrats have done? Does it mobilize women and Democrats to at the midterm? Look, I think women were already motivated in this election, and now they're on fire. I've been all over the country in the Midwest. Uh, this is all women are talking about. And I think that what, you know, I actually was just looking at the most recent NBC poll, which shows that college-educated women are now uh, more than 20 points uh, in favor of Democrats taking back the House of Representatives, which is, uh, I mean, in the last midterms, it was maybe two points. These, that's what I'm seeing is now the intensity is on the side of women. Um, we've seen women do historic things already this last year, elect the first you know, Democratic senator in Alabama, women uh, running for office in historic ways, 80 uh, women of color now nominated for Congress. I think this whole matter, and frankly, 
Uh, it was one thing when the president says the things he does about women, which are so disparaging. But to see United States senators um, like Senator Graham, uh, like Senator Hatch, say dismissive things about the issues of sexual assault, it's really inflaming women around the country. David, I mean, but public and private pollsters are, are showing that Republicans are basically caught up to Democrats when it comes to voter in- enthusiasm. How much could what's happening with Kavanaugh actually be a, a good thing for Republicans heading into the midterms? Huh. Well, it's, it's interesting, Anderson. The, the polls would suggest here in recent days that the Republicans, as a result of all this, are solidifying their, their lead in the Senate. They may even pick up some seats, like North Dakota seems to be going very heavily now for as a flip toward Republicans. Uh, but at the same time, the Democrats have been heartened uh, by, by the energy of women and others, uh, that the, and I think they're in stronger position to take back the House. Women feel so, dis- that I talk to, just feel disgusted angry they want to they want to do something there you know it, it's reflected in the number of women who wanted to run for office already this year but the Kavanaugh stuff is really I think highly energized them I mean, if the vote uh, is to confirm uh, is to confirm Kavanaugh I think the likelihood and Cecile could take a talk to this I think the likelihood is that women will remain energized from now to election day and uh, you know a lot of the house seats are in where where are are suburban the seats that are in play are suburban areas where women have a very very loud and powerful voice. A lot of the uh, the Senate seats that are competitive are in more rural states. That's why I say there may be this hmm. split. David Wasserman of the Cook Report has been writing about that for a you while. Agree with that, Cecile? Well, I think it's, I mean, I think women are motivated. I think this is one of the mistakes that um, really the Republicans in the Senate have made is that sexual assault and sexual harassment is not a partisan issue. This is an issue that every woman in America has faced or knows someone who has. And that's why they're, they're making a mistake making this political. Cecile Richards, thanks very much. David Gergen as well. I want to check in with Chris, see what he's working on for uh, Cuomo Primetime at the top of the hour. Chris? We're drilling down, my brother. We're drilling down tonight. I mean, this is one of those issues that is totally filtered through the lens of your partisan disposition. But this is one of those nights, instead of flying to the different silos, people are going to have to exercise reason. We have to look at what's in this op-ed, and it tells the story of who Kavanaugh is and how he should be measured. We have Mike Mukasey, the former AG. He's going to be a great reflection of where people are on the right. We have Alyssa Milano tonight to show this ethos that you're just talking about there, how women are getting riled up and why and what it means to them. So we're going to take it all on. We're going to go deep. All right. Five minutes from now. Chris, thanks very much. We'll be right back. More news ahead. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of, like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And, of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, and Scarlett O'Hara said tomorrow is another day. She didn't know the half of it because tomorrow in Washington is not another day, not in the Senate, where the first vote on Brett Kavanaugh is scheduled shortly after the opening gavel drops tomorrow morning. Not another day either at the White House, where so much is riding on the president's second and perhaps defining Supreme Court pick and all across the country. People will be watching and we'll be there live bringing it to you minute by minute. Also a reminder, don't miss Full Circle, our daily interactive uh, newscast on Facebook. You get to pick some of the stories we cover. You see it weeknights, 6.25 p.m. Eastern, every weekday at Facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle. The news continues right now. I want to hand it over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris. 
Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.